Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hey everyone, welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Matt Bordeaux. He's a keynote speaker and the founder of Apogee Strong. Thank you for coming on today, Matt. Pleasure is absolutely mine. And it's fun to find out that we, uh, we've we already semi-crossed paths some, somewhat in this life, you know? So it's kind of fun. Right, we were talking before the show. Turns out we both went to the same college. So, I mean, yeah. that's that's funny. awesome. And little old Chico State. That's right, and small world. At least I can still say claim to fame that it's a top 10 ag school. So, you know, I don't know what you majored in. That's right. I Yeah, I don't know what I majored in either. No, I, <laughs> it was kinesiology just because I like sports. I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, I had oh, friends. That's a good, that's a, they have a great program for that there. Really do. I mean, it was yeah. phenomenal people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went there because I had friends going there and like that was what I was, you know, quote unquote, supposed to do. Right. So, but yeah. It had good, nothing good to do with it being a party school, right? Uh, you know what people don't yeah people think it's um they find it kind of funny to know that i'm how old am i 43 uh, i've actually never had a drink in my life wow even at chico state so i was everybody's really? favorite designated driver oh that's awesome i, I was actually a single mom when i went to chico state so i had you. i had a little place out by the farm and yeah. i'm not saying i never you know had an evening out but sure. it was definitely more of my I, I was the mama bear of the group. Everybody came to my house to do laundry yeah. and, you know, eat crock pot meals. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. Oh, very cool. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and yeah. just your platform. And because I, I, I followed you a little bit and I absolutely love what you have to say. And I want to share that with my listeners. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'll give kind of the 30,000 foot and then, you know, we can go wherever, wherever you want to go with it. Um, I always tell people that, I've come out of the game of school. Um, and so, you know, we're mentioning Chico. And one of the things that was funny is I was leaving Chico my senior year. Um, I had a job set up at the White House. And and so that's, I thought I was going oh, wow. afterwards. And, and um, right before graduation, I was talked out of the job that I had already accepted. I was talked out of it by, uh, by a gentleman who worked there. Uh, and so we had that conversation. So I went, okay, great. So, well, I'm not going to take that job then. Oh, hey, but now I have nothing. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Like where I'm, you know, where am I going to go? Scary. It, which is a little scary, but um, worked a couple of, had kind of a unique path working a couple of jobs that I knew weren't going to be the career jobs, but because I took those, they, they led me down a very specific path. And I ended up at Stanford university uh, working there for a while. And so I got to see the game of school, from that side, I already knew the game. I already knew there was a game going on because I had always gotten straight A's all through school, all through college without trying. It wasn't that I was oh, extraordinary. I was a master it. procrastinator yeah. and graduated with honors. So there you go. Because you just know how to play the game. Yes. Right. So, you know, I knew that was there from that side, but I got to see it from the other side at Stanford too. So that led me down a path of naively going, okay, well, I think I can, you know, quote unquote, fix some of this and let me go help young people. So I became a public school teacher and I was a public school teacher and I went, wait, this isn't 
really, I'm being told to do this, but I need to do this. So, Hey, I'll, again, naively, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to go be an administrator. So I was a public school administrator as well and get to see more of the game, get to see more how it's not about kids and, um, you know, went to the private sector, private school teacher, private school administrator, um, ultimately going, Hey, this isn't, this isn't for kids at all. I need to build something for my own kids. I need to build something else. So, um, simultaneously a speaking career took off. So I had this very unique, you know, seven, eight year period where I started building schools that I believed in that were very different than any schools, you know, we grew up going to. Um, and I actually ran a more as very large homeschool co-op, you know, kind of things. And, and so I started building a number of those. I started helping entrepreneurs build a number of those while also traveling around the world and speaking to now, you know, over half a million people around the world at big fortune 500 companies that were hiring me to, to come in and talk about how to take all the well-schooled kids they'd hired and get it to where they weren't being fired because they where, were like, where they could function, where they could function. Um, that's exactly right. So built a number of campuses, um, helped people build campuses. Uh, but a good friend of mine named Tim Kennedy, who some of the listeners may know who he is. Tim's a uh, pretty, pretty famous guy decided he wanted to build one of our schools, but he and I also banded together to build a, a mentorship program. And that's what Apogee started out as. Uh, as a mentorship program for young men. We now have a program for men. We're launching our program for women this year in partnership with some really, really great women. Um, and many of our men and women are going forward to affiliate to either perpetuate the coaching mission or to build out more K through 12 campuses that look more like the schools I've always built. You know, we're homesteaders now and my kids are home educated. But if I was going, you know, in order to build something for the majority who doesn't want to home educate, we want to still bring those same uh, principles to them as the best we can. So that's the current mission. Uh, yeah, I love it. Um, part of my mission statement talks about bringing a common sense education to our youth. So that's right. I completely get where you're coming from on that. Yep. Yep. So I I love the idea of a you know that you have this a mentorship for, you know, young adults and young men, like what mm -hmm. um, are you focusing on with that? It's a great question. So we, we focus on kind of the old Bushido principles, you know, character and honor and integrity and, you know, those mm -hmm. core values, right. And getting back to being yes. service minded and just being good human beings first. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a huge part of it. They sign, they sign that Apogee code before they're even allowed to, to jump in, but the program itself, you know, they're, they're invited to a 12-month intentional journey into leadership. And if they pour into those 12 months, then they're invited to stay in perpetuity, no charge, like just stay. And we'll keep pouring into you and um, building you up. And, and the goal of the 12 months is they're taking on projects and challenges that are really uh, geared towards education, not school, <laughs> towards education, right? Things that actually contribute, those are not the same thing. School and no. education aren't the same. So as you know, so um, they're taking on these projects and these challenges. Um, they're building out a digital portfolio of their leadership journey. Um, they've got workouts to tackle. They've got readings to tackle. Um, but then they're also in a private uh, workplace platform where we're pouring into them every day. And every week we are bringing in the best of the best of the best in the world. So, you know, we might bring in a Navy SEAL one day and then a billionaire CEO, and then a famous movie star, and then a professional athlete. The through line, though, is the mentors we bring in are all really good men. They're good men who go, look, here's my story, whether I was always a good young man or not. Here's where I started. 
here's where I am now. Here are the patterns to success. Here's what character and service and, and integrity over a long period of time looks like. Here are the battles. Here are the struggles. Um, and we're pouring into these young guys, you know, laying out these roadmaps so that ultimately they can create their own roadmap that's in service to other humans. That's awesome. I mean, I we have a epidemic of not strong men. Yes, ma'am. Correct. And um, I think it's great that you're taking, you know, the initiative to say, hey, let me, I want to train you to be a strong man. And I mean, when I say strong, I'm not talking about physical strength. Sure. No, that's it. I mean, physical, you know, they're, they're, I mean, that's important too, but do we want them to be in shape? Do we want them to be capable? Of course we do. The respect in your body and and respect in your body. And then, you know, we talk a lot, there's a lot of the, the cliche, you know, mental health conversations that are going on right now, but we fail to usually recognize, at least from a cultural standpoint, that especially for young men, I think it's true for young women as well, but especially young men, the physicality, the physical health precludes the mental, right? If we've got physically healthy young men, they tend to be more mentally healthy. Mm-hmm. That's part of our design. That's not a political statement. That is a no. statement to our DNA. You like, know, so, yeah. That's how our bodies function. Yes, ma'am. That's it. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's strength in, in all of those ways. It's emotional strength. It's physical strength, it's uh, psychological strength, it's spiritual strength, it's it's all of those things that we're, um, you know, working to bring out of, of these young guys. But I'm, that's amazing. And, you know, I mean, I see it myself, my um, husband is a disabled vet, he did two tours in Iraq and got blown up three times. Mm. And, you know, he, uh, we started our journey of natural health after he was diagnosed from liver disease, and we assume it's from stuff that happened in Iraq. Sure. Um, not going down that road at the moment, but you know, um, we started on a whole natural health, um, program with him and gut health. And he's so sensitive to it. I can tell even on the days that he isn't focusing on his health. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Ooh, yeah. You didn't take your probiotics yesterday. Did you? And he's like, Oh, yeah. you're right. I didn't, yeah. which part of being blown up three times. I do have to kind of follow him around and be like, did yeah, you take your notes? Did you do what you're yeah. supposed to do? You know? Yeah. <laughs> So rough, uh, so important. You know, it, it is. And it's actually been a really positive for our family in that way that when we started working on helping him be able to work through his memory issues and um, the structure that he needed, it created more structure for our family and gave us like where we almost did like a mission statement for our family. And that's where we came up with our intentional parenting is that we have it on the wall where we remember what kind of parents we want to be every day for our kids. That's right. I love that, man. Yeah, we've got the same. We've got the Baudreau family rules. And it's something that all of us had to get behind them. All of us, meaning myself, my wife and my three kids. And so it is, uh, it is, those are the 11 rules for how we view the world, how we show up every single day. And we all have the power to call each other out on that saying, Hey man, you're a part of this family and this is how we see the world. And right now I don't see this happening. And that means the kids can call us out on that, right? If we're not leading by example, they get to call us out on that. Um, so it's just a, you know, this is a team, this is a team effort here. So yeah, I love that. I like that. What do you, I mean, do you, would you care to sh- share or give a synopsis of your 11 rules? Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm, uh, I'm glad to do so. I always tell people the language that we use, um, you know, is germane to us. So there's reasons we say certain things. So mm-hmm. 
Um, so like rule number one is be honest, but that's got a caveat too. So obviously there's the be honest, we don't lie to each other, but then there's the be honest. It's starting with yourself as well. So being honest about what, you, you know, how are you showing up? What are your shortcomings? What do you need to work on? Um, that's just as important for that, that self-awareness piece as telling the truth is mm -hmm. right. So be honest, um, be a copycat is rule number two for us. And what we mean by that is it's never to be somebody you are not what it is is look at the people who have come before you that have done the things that you want to do they've been the type of people you want to be they exhibit the character traits you want to exhibit and what are their what are their footsteps that they've laid down what are the tracks they've laid down that you can follow follow those patterns of success um, rule number three for us is to be an emotional ninja and that's how we phrase it in our house uh, and it, it just means that emotions are great. Emotions are a great thing, but we're not going to be controlled by them. We're going to honor them. We're going to say, what does this mean? Um, but we're not going to be controlled by them in terms of, hey, whoever's the most emotional wins. Right? Mm -hmm. That's not how the world actually works. So no. be an emotional ninja. Um, and I get it. We, we tell people they're being hagathas if they're grumpy. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, right. Choose it. Right. That's exactly right. Um, be the hardest worker in the room is rule number four. And the caveat there is especially when you're by yourself, uh, meaning always, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody's around or not, you're putting in your best effort on what you're doing. Um, be the kindest person in the room. Um, again, that's different than getting steamrolled and, and just being nice, but treating other people well. Um, rule number six is no complaining, fix it. If it's worth complaining, it's worth providing the solution. Uh, number seven is think most people won't. We know that most people live a reactive life and not a proactive life. Um, rule number eight, we stole from Jocko Willink, discipline equals freedom. Um, and so it's, you know, in our house, responsibility and freedom are two sides of the same coin, but responsibility is always first. Um, number nine is memento mori, you know, and that just translates into remember that that death is coming and it's not a fixation with death it's a fixation with life just you you only have a finite amount of time uh, so use it wisely uh, number 10 is you are personally responsible and number 11 is doing the right thing is always the right thing so those are our family rules i like it i mean you know we uh we, we have a group of teens that you know teens can be teens. <laughs> I don't even know how else to say that sometimes. And one of the things we always remind them when they walk out the door is what does integrity mean? That's right. And they have to say doing the right thing when no one's looking. That's right. That's exactly and right. They're capable. Hmm? they're capable of that. Oh yeah. We have to hold those standards. Adults will be teens too. If we don't hold the standards. You know, I was talking about that on the podcast the other day when I was, you know, sometimes I lack integrity, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I compared it to you know, there's two feet of snow on the ground and I walk my grocery cart out to the car and look around and go, yeah, I'm just going to leave this here because I can't push it through the snow, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then yeah. I leave and I feel guilty afterwards. And that's yeah. that I didn't show integrity in that moment. And yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the things I talked about, you know, I talk about with people a lot is the, the word teenager didn't even exist until 1944. That wasn't even a thing. <laughs> We've all grown up with it because, you know, that's now we're getting later on into the generations. We don't, you know, we don't remember that. But yeah, 1944, prior to then, it was just young person, adult, right? Like you walked into those teenage years and it was like, congratulations, you're now on the verge of adulthood. You now have adult responsibilities. Mm -hmm. right? so our, our DNA hasn't changed. 
our expectations have changed. Our expectations of not even just young people, but of adults, right? So we're lowering the bar for adults and what it means to live by integrity. And so then we're intentionally lowering the bar for our young people too. And, and you know, it's causing this delayed adulthood that we see uh, in our in our society. And I think that's to everybody's detriment. Oh, I agree completely. I, you know, we had talked before the call that we grew up in California and mm -hmm. moving up to Idaho, they definitely have different sets of values here. Mm -hmm. And I see really hardworking kids that I only saw a little bit in California. Yeah. Like I grew up ranching. So a lot of my friends were really hard workers, but I always, I was kind of in the middle where my parents were divorced. So I ranched on the weekends and I was a mm -hmm. teenager in public high school being expected to act that way. It was like, I had to be these two different people all the time. Yeah. And I found moving up here where all the kids work, my kids just fit right into that so much better. And I feel so much comfortable parenting in that situation because I don't feel like I have to baby my 13, 14 year old kids. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. It's to their detriment if we do that. Mm -hmm. And, and so. you know, I start with that kids helping in the house from a really young age. I mean, we were packing this morning. Um, you know, I run a, basically a shipping company out of my house. And this morning while everybody's, we're drinking our coffee and we're doing like an assembly line in the living, in the living room packing. And when mm -hmm. we get to the end, the three-year-old's running them out to the car because that's what he can do. Yep. Totally. Um, you know, my five-year-old, he's, he makes lunch for the family half the time, mm -hmm. you know, it's sandwiches, but he's capable. And the rest of us are doing work, you know, yep. we're doing school or the gardens or running my business. He can make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. For sure. For sure. You know? They're very capable. So yeah, got to give them opportunities to do that. For sure. And I, you know, I see such differences in my kid, my I don't want to just say my kids, but the kids that my kids are associated with and what they're doing, the relationships they have with the adults in their life is so different than what we were even allowed to do as kids. And mm -hmm. I say allowed because we weren't allowed to do those things. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Well, good for you. You guys are doing it the right way. Well, that's the goal. I, but you know what? I tell my kids all the time. Um, I mess up. Sure. I, I don't know how to do this. I make mistakes every day. <laughs> but this is my goal for you. This is my end goal. And this is the goal that I hope you have for yourself. So let's work on meeting it together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. But yeah, what I've seen a lot of is, you know, like you said in, you know, 1944 there, that's when they, we started using the term teenager. I actually didn't know that, but what I have seen is, you know, sociologically, we raised our kids to be our partners, mm -hmm. you know, in the house and society and our communities and I don't feel like that's what we're doing anymore. We're raising, I don't even know what I, I say we, but you know, society is, I don't even know what they're raising kids for I'm, or what their end goals are for them at this point. They aren't raising them to be partners because they're doing everything for them until the day they turn 18 and then don't understand why they're incapable of functioning. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a weird kind of paradoxical sort of thing where people have, you know, parents are, are are being trained that they have an end goal for their kids, but the end goal is this sort of arbitrary climb the school ladder and make sure you get a college degree. 
And then all of a sudden everything is done at that point and like you're ready to go. And so the paradox is the parents feel like, okay, I'm going to curate every moment from the minute they're born all the way through their graduation. I'm going to be the overlord of this entire thing. And then somehow at the end of that, they're going to be successful. And the reality is at the end of that, they're miserable because you have parents who in their own anxiety have curated this experience of anxiety for young people, right? And so the paradox is we need to back off. We need to start looking at how can we get them self-sufficient early? You know, our job as parents is to not be needed, to still be wanted, to still be able to be that that person with mm -hmm. a relationship, but to ultimately not be needed. I always tell parents, like, just take an inventory, like pretend you got stuck. You got stuck in the mountains for, you know, a day, two days, three days, a week, and you weren't going to be able to get home and your kids are going to be there by themselves. How long before everything devolves into chaos? What goes first? Can they feed themselves? Can they take care of the chores around the house? Can they take care of the animals? Can they, uh, you know, what, what happens if you're there so long, they've got to be able to pay the bills and to keep the lights on, like the money's there, but they've got to be able to pay the bills. What if they ultimately have to end up making money? Like go as far down that rabbit hole as you need to go. And that'll show you, okay, here's where the breakdown is. So here's where the opportunity is. You know, in my theoretical, you know, scenario there, the breakdown happens here. Well, cool. Then let's focus on that. Let's give your give your young heroes the opportunity to get those skills so that they're okay. That's oh, what I love doing, that. Right. That's that's what we should be doing. You know, I have this little chart when I talk about the self-sufficient kids that it's basically just a rising scale, you know, the your kids start being able to do nothing at the bottom. And by the yep. time they're 18, they should be able to be functioning adults but Absolutely. on the flip side that is switched and we're doing everything for them at the beginning and by the end we shouldn't be doing anything unless it's a want to bingo it's you know it's and that idea that we need to be doing everything for them it's not easier you know just because you don't want to clean up jam after your three-year-old doesn't mean that they shouldn't be learning how to make themselves something to eat because then you end up with kids at 16 that are like mom I want a sandwich and you have to drop everything you're doing you to go. go make them a sandwich that's it right so it's it's that it's that idea of front loading as much of that as possible early and they give us the cues we've just chosen to not uh listen to them right our our my I get to work with so many parents and it's a and it's a privilege to be able to do so but you run into those, you know, parents that are like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, my kid's 15 and they don't know how to do anything. And when you go back and look, well, did you ever give them the opportunity? Right. And and mm -hmm. when, did they, when did they start asking? Well, you know, yeah, when they're little, they ask. Uh-huh. Exactly. When they're little, they, they want to do that. Ask and they want mm -hmm. to. So you either take the time to invest right there to let them do it. And to show them how to do it and to walk alongside them. And yes, it might take you a little longer to make dinner, but you invest those that time uh -huh. early and you avoid a whole lot of issues later. Um, so it's a short-term investment for a really long-term, you know, big return on that investment. Um, it absolutely is. Cause you know, like you, we said, they ask when they're little, yep. by the time they're old enough to when they hit that age where they don't want to do chores anymore, they have that sense of responsibility that helps you push through those hard years. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you set the, you know, you can set the foundation for that too. People ask, well, how do you get your kids? You know, gosh, I know your kid, you guys live on a farm. Your kids have a bunch of different jobs and gosh, don't they complain every single day? They don't. Um, and I think part of that 
is because it's just the normal for them too. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that I ask parents is, okay, well, does your kid speak Chinese? No. Well, how come? We don't speak Chinese. Right. So it's not normal for them, right? They speak, <laughs> you speak English, so they speak English, right? So, hey, guess what? If it is normal for them, you can substitute anything else you do. If it is just normal, this is just the way our life works, is that every day we get up and we just go take care of the chores. Like we go take care of the animals. That's just part of what we do at night before we go to bed. We go take care of the chores. We go take care of the farm and go take care of the animals. It just becomes normal. So it's not even anything to complain about. It is just literally what we do. It's like brushing our teeth. It's like what, you know, anything else that you develop a habit around. Although do you have any tips on getting my teenagers to brush their teeth? <laughs> yeah, good, that one I still haven't figured out. Yet, so right. Good luck on that. Um, I'm but, like, I brush my teeth every morning. We feed the animals every morning. Yeah. We take our pills every morning. But that one's on like, did you brush their teeth? They're like, no. Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, ew. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, that's that one's a tough one. Um, but, you know, again, it's we make normal what we make normal. And unfortunately, we've made normal all this artificial, all this artificial stuff. And what's become culturally, you know, the the hard part is what is culturally familiar we've started to confuse for truth and and that's always a hard part right this is a familiar thing to us and so we're calling this true versus diving in and going that's part of why one of those rules for us is think because most people won't most people will just react they'll do what they always did what their parents did it's that default to what their friends around them do or expect or what their parents do or expect of them without stopping to think is there a better way to do this? Can we optimize this somehow? Um, you know, what is the right thing? So- you know, a question I get a lot from parents that I work with, and especially young women, mm-hmm. is that, I mean, you kind of hit it on the head there with the culturally familiar. They are getting a lot of pressure from their mothers, their grandmothers, their older sisters, the women who should be supporting them in their motherhood and their homemaking and those types of things. Mm -hmm. And instead are saying, you're not doing it the way I did it. So it's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's really hard on these young women. Yeah, it's absolutely. And we, and that's the default setting that we're, we're putting in, we're setting them up to, to do the exact same thing. And, you know, rather than thinking through something and seeing, is there a better way to do it now? Let's all stay curious together. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, that's one of the worst things that adults can do to kids. And I'm not saying this in terms of like a, I'm a holier than thou I've done it and I've caught mm-hmm. myself doing it. Right. So you said we all make mistakes. And- we all make mistakes for sure. And we all get into the rut of, no, this is the way to do things. Sometimes there's a way, but in a lot of things, there's a, a couple of different ways. And then sometimes in certain things, the best way changes, right? As, as the world goes on, sometimes there's a more efficient way that wasn't available to a previous generation. So depending on what we're talking about, you know, um, it always just behooves the adult to remain curious too. Because, hey, guess what? Your willingness to remain curious and go, is there a better way to do this or think through this or act around this? Um, is also setting the stage to make that normal for your young hero so that they can continue to grow. Absolutely. I mean, it's, that's a great way. I mean, it's, I'm loving this learning revolution that's happening right now that people are just starting to question everything and try to figure out why these changes have happened or should be happening and to have places that's supporting that it's, 
Mm-hmm. It's really great. Um, do you have advice for parents that are like some, maybe like some actionable steps that they can take, whether they have five-year-olds or 15-year-olds mm-hmm. to kind of start supporting their kids towards the, you know, like the, the self-sufficiency and strong independent thinkers? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And, and, um, my first go-to whenever, you know, we start talking about things like that, or I get to start talking about things like that on a podcast or with parents, um, is to go inward before you go outward. So we have this, um, we have this idea that, you know, as we're raising kids that we've got to do all these things, uh, to them in order to get, the 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 ideal outcomes that we're looking for Uh, and i always tell parents that it actually starts with themselves and then it goes to the environment and so what i mean by that is you know we want to start getting our kids to be happy and self-sufficient and taking on responsibility and not fighting with their siblings and um you know looking at the world with wonder and curiosity And so many parents will give me that. And then simultaneously, they'll get up every day and be like, oh, I hate my life. My job sucks. Money doesn't grow on trees. I'm not going to go to the gym today or for the next three months. I'm going to do right. It's this real do as I say, not as I do sort of thing. And that's called hypocrisy. And hey, by the way, your kids pick up on that. And so they actually only believe what you're doing, not what you're saying. So we need to make sure those things match first and foremost. And for many parents that I've had the opportunity and the pleasure uh, and the privilege of working with, that simple shift of you becoming the person that you say you want them to be makes 90% of the gain that you're looking for, right? The best way to increase your child's education is to increase your own and then just bring them alongside you. But most people don't want to do that because it means changing their habits. It sounds better to just be able to bark an order at a little person and expect them to do it versus having to change what you're actually doing. So that's always first and foremost. Um, it's that. And it really does take care of the majority of what people are are looking for. Um, the, the second part is understanding that it's the next level is still not necessarily working on your humans. It's what does the environment look like? And I always use the analogy of a, um, of a garden and I can look from my office out here. And it's probably why the analogy always comes to mind because I can see a big part of our, of our garden out here on the, on the homestead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we go plant things, my, you know, my wife and kids handle the garden more, more so than I do. And, and, you know, we're planting things right now to, to get ready for summer. And, um, you know, the whole idea is they're planting things in the ground, but they're, planting the seed and then they're leaving the seed alone. The rest of it is they're taking a look at the soil and, and there's a lot of work to do to make sure the soil is ready to go, right? And they're being intentional about which plants are where because of how much sun certain areas get. We're gonna have to pay attention to the rain and go, okay, if we got a lot of rain here, we're not gonna water today, but if we haven't had rain in a couple of days and we do need to water, we need to give this amount of water. We got to make sure these plants aren't by these plants because they don't grow well if they're next to each other. Um, these plants right here need to be around that, that big arch of a trellis. These, right. What we're doing is we're not messing with the seed. We're messing with the environment. And as long as the environment is set up appropriately, the seed's going to do what it needs to do. It's going to grow. 
it's going to do its thing. We can't stop mm-hmm. it. All we can do is make sure the environment is conducive for it to do the best it can. And so for parents, once they've got themselves, you know, once they're working on themselves and getting themselves together, that's the next part is what does the environment look like for those young heroes? So are they given chores and responsibilities? Are they allowed to interact with other good human beings? Are we eliminating the distractions that start to check off all these innate human desires and needs and there's so much opportunity for distractions for our young people now Uh, there's a billion of them right but are we in control of that and eliminating those as much as possible like what's the environment tell you what if you do those things you lead by example you make sure the environment is solid you make sure the distractions are taken away you you kind of can't lose i like that that's I mean, that just sums it up right there. I mean, you're not talking about chore times or a chart on the wall or any of those types of things. It is, you do it and you make sure what they have around them emulates that. That's it. And, you know, and you can use those kind of tools and the the chore times and the schedules. And because we have, you know, because we run multiple businesses and I've got multiple businesses, we also have the farm, Mm -hmm. we provide food to local restaurants. Um, My kids are self uh, sufficient in terms of their academics. They've also got activities that they are doing um, because we do have a lot of things going on. We do uh, have you know things in the house where everybody knows what everybody's doing on certain days at certain times, just so we can all make sure we're on the same page and we know what's going on. Um, yeah, so we, can we have all of our calendars synced on our phones, yeah. even our 18 year old who doesn't live oh. here anymore yep. so that he knows when he can reach us. <laughs> Everybody knows. Everybody knows what's going on. So those are great tools. Or when he has to pick uh, his brother up from baseball practice. <laughs> for sure. And those things are great, right? So we can use those. Mm-hmm. Problem comes in when people use those as the only thing or the primary thing, and they're not working on the underlying things that we mm-hmm. were talking about, right? So. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, even with, you know, on the topic of electronics, you know, when you talk about environment, Mm-hmm. You know, they have that uh, saying that, you know, you're most like the five people you spend most of your time with. Well, yeah. I say replace one of those people with an electronic. Yeah. Are you most like whatever you're doing on your electronic? Mm-hmm. That's right. Because, you know, you and I grew up in the same kind of generation where we know how to use our electronics as the tools they were meant to be. Yeah. Right, you know, right. I, I can be without my phone all day long and I'm fine unless, you know, it's a business day where my team's working, you know, yep. versus my kids, they don't, they think they need to have them all the time. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they're for school, sometimes they're for work, sometimes they're for looking something up. And sometimes that tool is simply that they're entertainment, mm-hmm. but it's using them for what they were meant to be and not as the only form of entertainment. That's right. And not using it as something that feels like a, a physiological need. Mm-hmm. You know, which yeah, I'm I'm not going to say that I don't enjoy my cup of coffee and a crossword on my phone in the morning. Like, sure, that's sure. I don't have to go sure. track down a crossword puzzle and have a pencil. I can do it sure. right there on my phone. You know. Yep, it's exactly what you're saying. It's the it's using it as a tool. Um, mm-hmm. But if we're honest, culturally speaking, most young people and most adults don't just use electronics as the tools. It's the tools. And 
And for some people it's, oh yeah, there's tools here too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's where it starts to get dangerous. Cause again, it's not just, when I say dangerous, it's not just, you know, what people think of in terms of like, oh, the predatory or the, I mean, there's all of those things that you can always go dive into, but I mean, dangerous for our young people, you know, and again, getting to work with a bunch of young men, well, part of what video games are designed to do is to suck you in, to sh- to give you an adventure, to give you a challenge, um, to put you in this scenario that you don't want to leave, man. It's an enthralling story mm-hmm. that's brilliantly done, and it's, it puts you in as the main character of this story that's got to now make decisions, and you've got to battle, and you've got to try to be victorious. These are all things that appeal to young men because it's part of our DNA, right? It's what we're designed to do. But if we get to do it in a faux environment, it makes the real world sometimes less appealing. And it checks off in our mind, yeah, I've conquered something today. You didn't conquer anything that was real, but you conquered something. And so then the whole, you know, like responsibility to go out and actually make the money, build the business, ask out the girl, like all of that. It's just like, why would I do that when I can do all of that from the ease of my home? And like, that's where it gets dangerous. And that's where we get perpetual boys. Well, and that's where, I mean, men need that challenge and they're numbed to that challenge when they're doing it in an artificial environment. Bingo. I mean, and that's why, you know, like you said, adventure, war, all those things that men are, I mean, not that men are wired to do war, but that challenge that comes with it and that they need to fight for something. Correct. It's all taken away from them when it's in an artificial environment. That's exactly right. Yep. So that's where it gets dangerous. And then, you know, even with girls, they get all the social that they need on their phone rather than bonding with other girls yep. and women. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Whew. You know, I was really surprised to hear that the first article on the dangers of technology was written in like, what, 1890? I believe that. Yeah, I don't know the facts on that, but that doesn't, that would not surprise me. And I mean, they were just talking about things like the electric light bulb, you know, changing our biology. Yeah. To not have healthy sleep schedules and things like that. I mean, it just, you know, it's mind blowing. And it makes, it makes me think about things sometimes. Like I'll sit on my porch at night and you know be reading or working on something and as the sun goes down I don't go turn the patio light on and just kind of hang out out there for a while and mm-hmm. just to have that contrast mm-hmm. yeah it's a good thing yeah it's interesting you got a lot of guys you know rising to popularity like Dr. Andrew uh, Huberman brilliant guy um, and you know he's got all this great research on on uh resetting circadian rhythms and, you know, and then the dopamine hits and that you get from, you know, technology and, and how to avoid uh, letting those things mess with you. And, and there's all these interesting things and people going in looking for the research and the tips and the tricks. And what it always boils down to is get back to your factory settings, like get back to let's pretend the phone wasn't there. What would happen? Well, and let's pretend lights weren't there. What would happen? Well, mm-hmm. you, would, you know, things would be dark at a certain time and that's probably when you'd be going to bed and then the sun would be getting up and, and you know, waking you up. And then that's when you'd be getting up and uh, you'd be get like, you just get back to the factory settings before all this. And that tends to alleviate a whole lot of issues. Same thing with the food, right? If it wasn't going to be, you know, if it wasn't able to be, just found or grown or killed, then it was produced in a factory. Well, pretend the factories before the factories existed, like getting back to those, you know, just the basic default setting tends to to help a lot of things. Well, I mean, I think everyone, I mean, I don't say everyone, but I wish people could just 
take like a week and only eat food that wasn't produced yeah. in the factory and see how they feel. For sure. Because it's such a stark difference. For sure. Physically, mentally, emotionally, um, you know, um, um, your your mental acuity, like everything improves. It's it's not even close. I mean, you're eating something that's alive versus, yeah. I mean, even, you know, that people don't always understand that. Like, no, we're not eating a live cow, but yeah, the, totally. you know, it is real. It is. Yeah. And um, it's not something that has been created. That's right. Makes all the difference in the world, man. So as we're kind of getting a little closer to the end of our time, my favorite question for all my guests is what does keep growing mean to you? Oh my goodness gracious. So you're, I love that question, man, because uh, for me, I always differentiate between school and education, right? People say, well, what, what's the difference on that? Said, well, school is a system that we have been taught uh, and it's almost a religion that we have been taught and we've been taught that we need that. So we need schooling um, in order to thrive. And that's never been the case. We need education because education, all it is, is growth. The root word educare is to draw out. We are trying to draw out the genius within somebody, right? And then we're scaffolding in anything we need because education is a wildly personal endeavor. Um, growth is the state of a human being. It is the natural state of the human being. We are the ones who have the propensity to just stop it for ourselves, whether it's because we think we already know something or because this is the way we've always done it or because we're too lazy to move forward on something. You know, growth is the natural state of a human being. It is synonymous with education. That's awesome. So do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Sure. I appreciate that. Um, we're actually building out a brand new site uh, that's going to encompass all of the programs that we have, which will just be at apogeestrong.com. Uh, while like we're building, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, while we're building that out, apogeestrongprograms.com is the best place to go because it just points you to you know, the young men's program, the men's program, um, the 501c3 that we operate, the home education courses we operate. And it'll point you to all that stuff. But uh, ultimately, it'll be on under apogeestrong.com. And then people can find me on most platforms just at, at my name. Awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. And, okay. you know, I hope everybody takes what you had to say today and uses that to keep growing. Appreciate that very much. Pleasure was mine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing.